You're tuned to KVMR FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 o'clock, and it's time for the KVMR Evening News. Good evening. I'm Claudio Mendonça. The Delta variant is causing a spike in hospitalizations as it continues to surge through our state. Tonight's California report covers the effort by some counties to increase access to COVID-19 testing. Then, after an update on the Dixie Fire, Lily Jamali offers the latest regarding the PG&E Fire Victims Trust. After local news and weather, Nevada County Director of Environmental Health, Amy Arani, talks with Felton Pruitt about river fire recovery. We close our newscast with this week's economic report with Gary Zimmerman. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As the Delta variant of COVID continues to surge across the country and state, California public health authorities are reporting a spike in hospitalizations. In the last two weeks, hospitalizations have just about doubled in the state, reaching nearly 6,000 as of Sunday. Much of that total increase has occurred in Southern California, like Los Angeles, Orange, San Diego, San Bernardino, and Riverside counties. But the increase isn't just in the southern part of the state. Since last month, the number of COVID hospitalizations has doubled in both Sacramento and Fresno counties, and the Bay Area has seen a similar increase. Public health officials note that the vast majority of COVID hospitalizations are still occurring among the unvaccinated, further proof that the vaccines are working to help fight off serious symptoms if a person does get infected. We should also note that while California has seen a steady rise in hospitalizations, hospitalizations, the state is still well short of the fall and winter surge. As the Delta variant continues to spread across California, many counties are seeing a huge surge in demand for COVID testing. In response, San Diego County is opening new testing sites in areas that have been hard hit by the pandemic. Denise Foster is chief nursing officer for the county and is leading its COVID testing and vaccine efforts. We have um, increased our capacity at our existing sites including our state sites, have opened up additional lanes to provide access to the community. Um, we've opened up sites at our public health centers. Those are pretty small clinics, so we can't do a ton, but that does increase access points for the community. Foster tells the California Report the county has opened a new testing site at Cal State San Marcos in North San Diego County and another at San Diego State University. Two more are expected to open this week, each with a capacity to test about 1,000 people a day. The number of COVID tests administered in San Diego County has tripled since the start of July. Now to the Dixie Fire. While the fire destroyed much of the Gold Rush-era town of Greenville last week, several other rural communities communities in Plumas County have been devastated by the wildfire. Plumas County Sheriff Todd John spoke about that to the California Report. It's not just Greenville, it's Indian Falls, and, and we had folks that lost their uh, houses down in the area, Rich Bar and um, up in Canyon Dam. And it, it's a small enough county that everyone has ties to everyone. And 
Several people were unaccounted for in Greenville after the blaze tore through the town. They've all been located safely, but Sheriff John says his office gets several calls each day, with people inquiring about the whereabouts of someone who might be missing. His deputies verify each tip to make sure that a person is safe. The sheriff says evacuation orders and warnings often change on a daily basis, and residents need to heed those warnings. Some people have refused to leave their properties. We have a lot of cattle ranches around and things like that where they have green meadows and pastures and things like that. I, I can understand why folks would stay in an instance like that. Do I recommend it? No, but I, I at least understand that. But there are some areas where folks are in very thick wooded areas with one uh, ingress and egress route, and those are very problematic. Th those are the areas that are going to get someone killed when you choose not to leave. Sheriff John says he was encouraged by a meeting he and others in Plumas County had with Governor Newsom over the weekend. The governor promised that the state and federal governments will provide the necessary assistance to help communities rebuild once the fire is contained. And staying on wildfires, the head of a special trust in charge of distributing billions of dollars to 70,000 PG&E fire victims says they will never be fully compensated for all they've lost. The comment came in an interview with California Report's Lily Jamali, who joins me now. And Lily, we're talking about people who lost loved ones, homes, and businesses, and fires PG&E caused between 2015 and 2018. That's right, Saul. So you have people who've been waiting for as long as six years. And the Fire Victim Trust set up in PG&E's bankruptcy has been determining the dollar value of what all of those people are owed. So far, they've distributed $599 million to about 18,000 people. I recently spoke with trustee John Trotter about how the trust has been staffing up with claims administrators in order to do that. Then I asked him whether fire victims will ever be made whole. Here's what he told me. They never will. They will never be made whole. That's what bankruptcy means. It means we don't have enough money to make everybody whole. The reason stems back to the structure of the deal between PG&E and Lawyers for Fire Victims. It called for $6.75 billion to be delivered into this trust as cash for fire victims, but the other half of their compensation was promised as hundreds of millions of shares of PG&E itself. That part hasn't gone very well. PG&E stock has fallen quite a bit this summer. The company recently told state regulators its equipment may have caused both the Fly Fire and the Dixie Fire. The Fly Fire merged with the Dixie Fire, which is burning now in Northern California. Here's trustee John Trotter again. The stock keeps changing in value, so... Not only I don't know with any definity what the amount of the claims will ultimately be, what, what's the total amount, and I don't know because the stock changes daily, the amount of money I have to pay those claims. That's why we're paying only paying 30%. So for those who have now gotten a determination letter from the trust saying, this is what we've determined you are owed, they are only getting 30% on those claims. Trotter said he hopes that that will increase to 50% by this fall. But the bottom line is that the total pool of money is far short of what they need to pay everyone. Saul? Thanks, Lily. That was the California Report's Lily Jamali. 
Support for the California Report comes from Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of healthcare with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. And personal capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, August 10th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a good day. Nevada County reported 186 new confirmed COVID-19 cases today. 649 are listed as active. 30 people are hospitalized. The Nevada County Fair, Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital, and the Nevada County Public Health Department released a joint statement today strongly recommending that all who attend the Nevada County Fair this weekend wear a mask, both indoors and outdoors, regardless of vaccination status. The statement goes on to say, quote, We strongly recommend that anyone age 65 and over, those with compromised immune systems, and those with underlying health conditions consider not attending the fair this year. Anyone who is in isolation due to a positive COVID-19 test or is in quarantine due to an exposure to someone who has tested positive must not attend the fair. End quote. The statement is signed by Patrick Eidman, CEO of the Nevada County Fair, Jill Blake, Director of Nevada County Public Health Department, and eight local doctors, including Nevada County Public Health Officers Dr. Scott Kellerman and Dr. Glenna Trochet. You can read the entire statement on the county's website at mynevadacounty.com. Turning to regional weather, in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 68, Wednesday will be sunny and hot with a high near 98. Tomorrow's air quality index, AQI, will be 104, unhealthy for sensitive groups. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight widespread haze and smoke after 11 p.m., then mostly clear with a low around 51 degrees. Expect more of the same tomorrow, but sunny with a high near 89. Tomorrow's AQI for the region will be 148, unhealthy for sensitive groups. And finally, for Sacramento and Woodland, tonight mostly clear with a low around 64 degrees. Wednesday will be sunny and hot with a high near 103. The AQI for the valley tomorrow is expected to be good at 43. Next, let's listen to Amy Irani, Nevada County's Director of Environmental Health. She recently spoke with Felton Pruitt about river fire recovery. 
We're talking with Amy Irani. She's the director of Nevada County's Environmental Health Department. Up until a couple of weeks ago, you were basically dealing with restaurants and places like that and still de- dealing with COVID and then the Delta variant. And then last week, we got the river fire dumped on us. And you've been so busy with that in the last week. Let's talk a little bit about that now. Uh, what's going on in your department right now? So right now, and, and first let me say, you know, all of us here at the county, environmental health, our hearts go out to everyone who has lost significantly uh, during this fire. It is it is always a very difficult time for, for everyone. So from our perspective, environmental health, we are the recovery. You know, you initially have the initial response and making sure our fire folks doing their incredible work of keeping the fire um, mitigated and, and, you know, triaging their response. And then you have a point where once evacuation orders are lifted, now we're moving into a recovery phase. And so that is our role as part of the debris management removal and recovery phase. So where we are today is right now Paul Cummings and the OES team are working really hard uh, with our California Office of Emergency Services, OES folks that are here, to obtain the funding that helps us move forward with that private property debris removal program. Let's say somebody did unfortunately lose their house, and now they're they're probably trying to get a hold of anybody and figure out what's going on. If you need information about your house and how to start the recovery and the, you know, moving all the debris out process, how would you recommend they go through that? Great question. So our great folks in the, in the PIO department, Taylor, Vera, and the team have done a great job of putting up data. Uh, if you go to MyNevadaCounty.com and you click on the river fire, there's a lot of great guidance documentation. There's also going to be a local assistance center. I believe they're working on something for this coming Friday and Saturday. The dates and times are are to be determined, but coming up for everyone so that you can come through and you can talk to PG&E, environmental health, building, representatives from all of the agencies that you may need to see will be in one stop. So if if you're a property owner, you unfortunately have suffered the loss of your home primary structure, what will happen once we receive funding? Um, We work through California Office of Emergency Services, and we establish a debris recovery program. The homeowner would need to fill out, uh, to start the process, there are two phases. Phase one is where the Department of Toxic Substances and Control have a team, and they come in, they look at every parcel, and they remove what would be deemed as household hazardous waste. That's like expired propane tanks, uh, paint cans. Sometimes folks have ammo uh, chests, you know, like gun safes and that in their garages, and those are left. Automotive or boat or little ATV kind of batteries may be left behind. They come in and they look for that. Once they clear a property, and they'll remove it, they'll mark it, and it gets removed, then we jump into phase two. And phase two is if property owners wish to sign up for government assistance. And what that means is CalRecycle subcontracts with companies or a company to come in and do a complete site remediation. They essentially remove everything on the property that is within the burn footprint. So in other words, the home, uh, say it's on a slab, the entire slab would be removed 
and all the debris upon the property would be collected and removed. And that, again, prior to all of that commencing, even the Phase 1, the owners of the the particular property would need to sign up uh, via a right of entry form. It's a detailed document, Felton, I'll admit that. I've tried to come up with kind of guidance, like a checklist to help, but that's why we're here. So if people have questions, you know, they need to reach out to our department. They can call anytime, you know, our direct line or our office line is 530-265-1222. You want to select option three. And then, you know, my staff is understanding we have a, a spreadsheet and we're, we're starting to gather data from everybody. We're talking with Amy Irani, the Nevada County Environmental Health Department Director. Amy, can you talk to uh, the toxicity of the smoke right now that we're still getting out of the fire and how unhealthy it is? Uh, sure. You know, that's one thing that obviously, you know, with the Dixie Fire, unfortunately, some of those, the, the smoke air movement came our direction. And in any particular situation, when particulate matter which is very tiny, ash and smoke is extremely tiny, 2.5 or, or, or less. If you have any type of asthma or respiratory issues, inhaling that can really complicate your ability to breathe or your mobility. Ash from a fire in particular, though, oftentimes when organics burn, like trees or other debris or debris falling from the sky, they can contain heavy metals and other types of you know, who knows what was burning, right? It could have, it could have burned up uh, an area that was filled with a lot of automotive batteries or other things. So the, the ash itself can be harmful. That's why property owners that are returning to their property after the river fire, if you have lost everything, please don't enter the property before contacting us first. And we'll be out posting signs, little signs that, that ask people not to enter and to give us a call first before doing any kind of work or or such on property. We're almost a week past the river fire, so it's in the cleanup stage now for most folks. Uh, What would you tell people are the next steps? The next steps in this is truly heading out, go to the local assistance center, get the documentation that you need, make sure you're in touch with your insurance provider, but most of all, have patience. The process by which we procure federal and state funding does take time. Everybody's working without fail throughout the day and into the evening through weekends to try to get you the help that you need. We are here for you, so please reach out. 211 is an excellent resource. Any questions you have, we're keeping them updated as well. So uh, just reach out. Give us a call, and, and we will, we're here for you. So we're doing everything we can to, to get you back on your feet. We've been talking with Amy Irani, Director for the Nevada County Environmental Health Department. If folks need to get a hold of you, give them the ways to contact you one more time. Feel free. You can email us at health at co.nevada.ca.us, or you can give us a call at 530-265-1222, option 3. Thank you very much, Amy. Thank you, Felton. It's a pleasure. The labor market is looking up. Here's this week's economic report with Gary Zimmerman. This economic report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com.
Okay, Gary, last Friday, news from the labor market was pretty good. The economy added lots of jobs. Unemployment rate also fell. Was that expected or was that a pleasant surprise? Well, let's start with the expectations from economists before the labor market data were published last week. Estimates were kind of all over the place with the expectations I saw ranging from only several hundred thousand jobs added. That would be a, a, a good normal month in a, in a normal economy uh, to estimates of over a million jobs in July. And that, you know, that would be a good month in the COVID recovery. So, um, yeah, it was uh, I, I think it was a surprise um, and there were some uncertainties there. Why was there such a large range of estimates? Is that normal? Paul, the large range of estimates, um, the number of payroll jobs that were added in July, just, I think, reflected the wide range of uncertainty. We, we do know the economy has picked up speed, and that suggests more jobs would be created. But in July, we also had the beginning of the likely negative effects coming from the Delta variant of COVID-19, and that would that would slow down the job market, potentially. Um, and the labor market survey, of course, was taken around mid-July, so it might have been a little early to see the impacts on, on, you know, of Delta yet. But, you know, Overall, it was probably a lot more uncertainty in the estimates than normal. And you know, that's why we got a, a large range or wide range of estimates. Let me ask you this. Why are the job numbers and unemployment rate good labor market indicators or, or are they? Oh, good question, Paul. And, and yes, they are. Uh, both the job number and the uh, unemployment rates, um, along with the other labor market indicators like labor market participation, Changes in wages, um, new claims for unemployment insurance, new hires and quit or separation rates. Those provide us with pretty recent up-to-date data on conditions in the labor market. And the, um, the employment data um, are particularly useful because they're available without long lags before they're published. So it's, you know, it's now early August and we already have the July numbers for the key jobs and unemployment figures and we can evaluate whether the job markets are improving, holding steady, or, or getting worse. Fortunately for us now, the, the recent data are showing improvement. Just how many jobs were added in July? And it was a big number, as I understand it. it indeed, Paul, it was huge. 943,000 payroll jobs were added in July. But, you know, remember, the economy has about, you know, in July had you know, over 146 million people working. Um, you know, but, you know, we're still about 5.7 million jobs below um, the the peak before COVID-19 hit, you know, and, and, and we lost 22 million jobs in two months. So, you know, even adding 943,000 jobs in July and, you know, the, the revised uh, June job number added 934,000, you know, we've now added one, almost 1. 1.9 million jobs in the past two months. You know, we still have a ways to go to get back to or return to full employment. And then you have the uncertainty of, you know, what, what effect might Delta have on the Delta virus <laughs> variant to have on the economy and, and labor markets. Um, still, the 943,000 new jobs in July was was good news. And it's consistent with what we're seeing with other labor market indicators that are also looking better. In July, the new claims for unemployment insurance were high, but the, the lowest they've been since COVID hit. And um, we're seeing that wages are growing faster as labor markets tighten. That's a good signal of labor market recovery as well. And, and um, today there was a report that, you know, we're, we're looking at, you know, uh, up, up to about 10 million jobs uh, that are openings are out there. So, you know, there are lots of job openings um, and, and still folks, you know, who need to find jobs. What happened to the unemployment rate in July and how close to how close is the July 
unemployment rate to your estimation of full employment? Well, Paul, the headline unemployment rate that we you know see in the media and it's discussed a lot um, fell from 5.9% in June to 5.4% in July. And that's a significant reduction in only one month. And certainly an important signal that the labor markets are improving with the overall economy um, growing at a, at a rapid pace. So you know, full employment, um, and I hear I might use the Fed policymakers median projection uh, from June, uh, full employment by their projection was 4% roughly. So, you know, we still have a ways to go to get from 5.4% to 4%. And that could take some time. But, you know, another six months or a year it looks like uh, we should still you know get there back to down to full employment after this short but very deep uh, covid recession well gary all in all i'd say pretty good news uh, for this month it's about time (laughs) gary zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the san francisco reserve in san francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. That concludes our newscast for Tuesday, August 10th, 2021. We get support from Briar Patch Food Co-op. Featuring an in-house deli and bakery, sustainable meat and fish department, and certified organic produce from local farms. Now hiring, 290 Sierra College Drive in Grass Valley. And Four Paws Animal Clinic providing medical, dental, surgical services, alternative therapies, and cat boarding for cherished companions on Searles Avenue in Nevada City. Dr. Susan Murphy and staff proudly support KVMR, F-O-U-R, pause, A-C, dot com. Keep it locked to your community radio station. Next up is Food Sleuth, followed by Democracy Now! at 7 p.m. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Thanks for listening. And from all of us here at KVMR, have a good evening and stay safe.